you have a Bible with you, would you go to a scripture in Matthew chapter 11 for me? It's a scripture that I think for many of us is almost unattainable. We desire all these things sometimes in God, but trying to find our way there or trying to find our place in this reality becomes more and more difficult for us. I've walked with Jesus for 34 years this year, and I'm still waiting for this scripture to become more than a reality to me in my head. I want it to become a reality in my heart. Look at it with me, would you please? Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Do we have any weary or burdened people in the room this afternoon? You can tell the truth. We know anyway. We can tell by the lines on your face and the frowns on your brow. We can tell that some people are burdened. Anybody weary? A little bit weary. Come on, tell. I love people who tell the truth. Anybody weary? Two, only this side is weary. This side seems perfectly fine. If I were you, weary people, I would move over here because obviously there's something happening over here. What about burdened? Do we have any burdened people? I know we have some burdened some people, but do we have any burdened people? A couple of burdened people. Well, the good news for you is that Jesus has provided a place of refuge and peace and joy and fullness for you. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen? And then he gives us the key to that rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Finishing with this thought. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I ask you a quick question? Just between you and me, I know there's not many of us here this afternoon. Pretend it's just you and me talking. Is there any part of you that would love to have this as a reality in your soul? Is there anyone in the room who has tried to find this kind of joy and peace and fullness during the course of their life? Give me a wave if that's you. Is there anyone who has managed to succeed in living in the fullness of this scripture just yet? Because we really want to know you and we'd like you to spread your beautiful love around the room. (laughs) You're frightened to put your hand up now, aren't you? It suddenly became a little bit of an expose. Well, let me start by saying a couple of things about this scripture. The first thing I want to say to you is this, that Jesus isn't talking just to people who don't know him here. He's talking to a bunch of people who already know God. And so the invitation has two dynamics to it. Of course, this afternoon, I imagine in a crowd like this, there will be people who have as yet not really discovered Jesus. Can I tell you that he's looking for you far more intentionally than you've been looking for him. And if you're here this afternoon and you're coming to watch somebody get baptized and this isn't your normal afternoon experience, you're usually at Westfield, washing the car, at some shopping outlet, then can I tell you that what you're shopping for here is invisible, okay, but it's far more real and far more profoundly valuable than anything you can buy at Westfield, even Pandora, even Pandora. Jesus is more precious than jewels and fine gold and silver. And you may not notice that when you come in here very quickly. You may not recognize that very easily. But actually, all of these people have come because they have discovered that relationship with Jesus actually satisfies the deepest longing of the human heart. And that is to be loved and to express love back to God. There's a whole bunch of people on the front row here 
who are about to stand up in a very public way and disclose what's happened to them in a very private way. Isn't that the truth? Are you a bit nervous? I think some of you have no nails left. I think you're down to knuckles on the front row here. A little bit anxious about that. But actually, they're almost compelled to do so because what's happened to them is so real and life-changing, it would seem really inappropriate to not go public with what God has done for them in private. There are lives here that have been healed, I anticipate. Lives here that have been set free. You should nod at this point, candidates. This is a good place. But the best news of all, and you can't really see this with the human eye, is that they have forgiveness from God. And they have a connection with Him and a relationship with Him that actually is the beginning of truly discovering what good, godly humanity can look like. They're saved and they're being set free and they're finding moment by moment that Jesus was better than they ever thought He initially was. And that's good. And that's why we're here. Because we're celebrating all that Christ has done for us. But it starts with his invitation. Come to me. You see, sometimes we fail to recognize that he has come to us. The Bible teaches us that Jesus came down from heaven. He was the epicenter of all that is glorious and beautiful in heaven. Perfect and radiant and majestic. And he stepped into our broken world. So that our broken world can be infected by the beautiful world of heaven. Jesus came to redeem us from the disparity of our soul, where we're searching for something that we can never truly or ultimately find, and he came to find us. The Bible says, while we were yet still sinners, in other words, hard of heart and indifferent of mind and soul and body, Christ Jesus died for us. So when he invites us to come, it is because he has first come. He has come into our world. Has anybody discovered that Jesus has turned up in their life in this room? How is that feeling for you? Does that feel a good thing? Has the message gone as far as your face? Does that feel a good thing? Is it a good thing that Jesus has turned up looking for you? Well, I can say that it's better than you realize because had he not, you would have no access to him whatsoever. You could not get to God through hard work or church attendance, Bible study, or even trying to be a very good person. There is only one way that we can have relationship with God That's why Jesus said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. So if you want to come to him, remember this, he first came to you. He turned up in your world, he turned up in your heart, he's turned up in your life, and everything has shifted and changed as a result of that. So that's one group of people. The second group of people are those who have found that Jesus has turned up in their life, and they want to come to him. And they often want to come to him because actually, when you discover how beautiful he is, You find it very, very difficult to keep away. There's something so attractive about Jesus, something so powerful about being in relationship with him, that actually when that begins to function well in your heart and life, everything else seems to fade into some form of insignificance. Jesus came so that you could come, but he also came so that we could continue to come into deeper and deeper relationship and fellowship With him. And I want to say about that relationship as good as earthly relationships are, there is no relationship on this planet that can satisfy the longings of the human heart like a relationship with Christ Himself. He is simply breathtaking. He is so beautiful, so kind, so generous, so caring, so powerful. Shall I keep going? (laughs) 
He really is breathtaking. He is everything you ever believed could be possible and so much more than you have the capacity or I to fully understand. And he is available to anybody who wants to have a relationship with him. God is open-hearted. He's open-handed. In fact, he's so generous that he's made this invitation available to all kinds of people. Now look around you. There's all kinds of people in here this afternoon, isn't there? There are glamorous ones. Thank you. Thank you so much. There are those who... <laughs> those who have uncertainty. Do we have any of those people here? There's a few in. Those who are living in victory. Do we have a few victory living people here? Well, it's getting better now. We're waking up a little bit. And, and those of us who are not really sure what it's all about, but we're vaguely attracted and we've turned up anyway. Now nudge the person next to you and say, I think he might be talking to you. <laughs> Come to me. What a wonderful invitation from the God who is perfect. But how do we do that? Do you not find like me that coming to Jesus with all the best intentions in the world seems at times to be the most difficult thing? Do you, like me, believe that spending time with him would be really good for you? But actually, if you're really honest, and I like to be honest, do you spend time with anyone on everything else other than Jesus and wonder why your life isn't as fulfilled as you'd hoped it would be? Do you, like me, identify that the greatest battle is not just over the political arena in our country, which is fierce, but the greatest battle in the human soul is the battle for intimacy with God? You see, we've become, outside of relationship with him, so independent and so self-reliant that when we come into relationship with him, we try to live that relationship with those parameters. But Jesus speaks right into the heart of all of our human effort. And he says, no, no, I have come that you should have life and life in all its fullness. Come be with me. Come spend time with me. Now, I want to just suggest to you that Jesus' invitation is eternal. And it is available to anyone who would desire to take him up on it. But Jesus is trying to model for us in his words here something more than an external veneer of spirituality. What he's trying to model for us is a depth of maturity and weightiness and power and love that actually when you look a little closer into his life, you can see he actually modeled exceptionally. Now here's when I know that my intimate relationship with God is not working well. When I turn up and I try very hard to make a Christian decision in the midst of a difficult problem. It's almost like this. I'm like an opera singer who hasn't practiced, but I want to sing high C. You see, when you look across the life of Jesus, you realize that all of the miracles and all of the interactions with humanity came out of something far more important than just the spectacular dynamics of the kingdom. Jesus' greatest priority was to be with his Father. In fact, so many times in the New Testament, people tried to stop him from doing that, but he would 
sneak away and just be with God the Father. Jesus understood that what happens out here is simply a reflection of what's been happening in here. He understood that if he wanted power in the marketplace, he needed to have intimacy in the private place. He understood that he couldn't sing high C without practicing humility and connectivity with the God of glory. And so often I think we want God to do great things for us, but his invitation isn't that you move in power out here. His invitation is that you know him in here, that you have a great capacity to come to him more intentionally, more exceptionally than perhaps you realize. You see, Jesus modeled a lifestyle, not a stylized life. Now, even though he was the unique son of God, he lived with that kind of internal preparation in relationship with God. In Luke chapter 2, verses 45 to 50, we find Jesus turning up at the temple. He was all but 12 years of age. Now, do any of you remember being 12? I know for some of us it's hard. Does anybody remember being 12? Give me a wave if you remember being 12. Some of you are nearer than I am. Okay, can you honestly say that you ever turned up anywhere at the age of 12 and impressed people? Can you honestly say that what you said to a whole bunch of people at the age of 12 was so impressive they were in awe of everything you said? Now, I'm not talking about the delusion in your head. I'm talking about the reality in your life. In Luke 2, verses 45 to 50, Jesus turns up in the temple and he's surrounded by all these educated, learned, and fantastically spiritual people. And guess what? They didn't put him out. They hung on his every word. He spoke in a way and a manner that was profound. And all the scholars leaned in and wanted to learn from a 12-year-old boy. Why was that the case? Because up until that point in his private life, Jesus was fashioning an intimate relationship with the Father, walking through backwards and forwards the Scriptures, learning them, digesting them, absorbing them, and living them. And so when he turned up in the temple, he didn't just have a good sermon, he had a lifestyle saturated in the presence of God. He was marinated in the love of the Father. He had wisdom and revelation, but he had application and application and application to his intentionality to live in relationship with God. And you know, for days after it, people talked about what Jesus said. Isn't that true about Jesus in total? That when you look across his life, people say, this man spoke like no other person that we know. Where do you think that came from? Did it come from Bible school training? Did it come from reading the latest theological book by somebody? Of course, those things are valuable and good. No, it came out of his abiding desire to be with his father. His father, with his word, taught him how to live in wonder. And when he opened his mouth, wonderful things happened. You notice in Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17, that there's a similar pattern. We find here that Jesus turns up in obedience, because he was without sin, to be baptized in a very public way. And God the Father... God the Son and Holy Spirit become a very evidential reality here on earth because the Spirit lands on Jesus like a dove and the Father speaks from heaven. And these are the words he speaks. He says, This is my Son whom I love. In him 
I am well pleased. A wonderful demonstration of affection, affirmation, and indeed identity over Jesus. Before he even started to pray for the sick or minister to anyone, the Father's delight in him had already been visible and tangible in his life. And guess what Jesus does? He goes on a 12-month ministry trip. He goes on God TV. He makes sure that his latest podcasts are up on the internet. No, here's what Jesus does. In the midst of a moment where it's clear that he has an exceptional relationship with God the Father, he disappears for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible tells us that he lived without food for that length of time. You see, we all want to do the miracles of Jesus, but many of us fail to live the life that Jesus lived. We all want God to turn up in our public life, But God really wants us to turn up to him and come to him in our private life. We can't really expect God to meet with us in a moment if we haven't built a relationship with him in private. It's important for us to understand that Jesus modeled relationship with God in such a way that we can access that relationship too. He invites us to come to him because he lived a lifestyle of coming to God the Father. Everything you love about Jesus is because he lived with that kind of orientation. Now, when was the last time you disappeared for 40 days? Now, I know there's somebody sitting next to you that wish you would, but let's not look at that right now. When was the last time you took 40 days to be in the presence of God? When was the last time you took 40 minutes to be in the presence of God? And yet the truth is, church, so often we want God to demonstrate his power for us or demonstrate his authority through us, and yet we haven't demonstrated to him our commitment to relationship with him. I am absolutely convinced that if you want God to use you exceptionally, then do something exceptional. Spend time with him. Be the unusual one in your family. Be the exceptional one in the way that you live your life. Make his presence privately your greatest priority. And I guarantee you that when you open your mouth, people will listen to you. I guarantee you that when you lay hands on the sick, God will turn up and confirm to those people that he's with you. I guarantee you that when you speak to the lost, they'll have conviction, not because you've got fancy words, but because you've been in the presence of an incredible God. Now, this is the easy yoke that Jesus is inviting us to. Not an occasional visit to his presence, but a consistent abiding in his presence. So as I was thinking about this, I thought, how do we do that? Because I don't know about you, but I have a very busy life. Does anybody here have a busy life? I also have a very busy wife. Does anybody here have a very busy wife? Okay, my life is exceptionally busy. I'm running from one thing to the next all the time. So is God telling me I have to come away from everything? Well, I want to say to you that perhaps that would be good for me. It may be even good for you. No one goes to university and gets a degree without studying and applying themselves to the subject matter that they have indeed endeavored on. We are not going to graduate into maturity without taking full responsibility with God to be in his presence daily. 
But there's something far more profound than just extracting ourselves from our world and living the life of a recluse for a certain period of time. And can I just, can I recommend that to you? Should it be really good for some of us to stop the clocks, turn off our phones, unplug the television, and just sit silently in the presence of the God of greatness and allow his goodness to marinate our souls so that when we get up from those places, there's some sense of maturing of heart and life and spirit that turns up in the marketplace of life. You're not going to harm yourself if you don't have your phone on. You do know that. I have a daughter, she's 21, and I think she's surgically attached to her phone. Her phone goes everywhere with her. Whether she lies down, goes to the depths of the earth, <laughs> it is there. And the sad thing is I've become like her. I mean, I'm so frightened I'm going to miss anything. I've got an iPad, an iPhone, a television, a laptop. I still have no idea what to do to work them, but I've got them. Just in case I miss something. Here's the something I'm missing. That while I'm distracted by all of those things, I'm not allowing my spirit to be attracted by the one thing that changes everything. And that's time in the presence of God. It wouldn't hurt you. It wouldn't hurt me to turn all those things off and just spend a little time in solitude and silence in the presence of the Most High God. I can guarantee you, if you live the lifestyle of Jesus, then you'll start to see the fruit that Jesus saw. But Ephesians 6.18 tells us that we can live with Jesus consistently. It says to be in the Spirit at all times. Now, I don't know how you do that, but for me, it's a simple connection thing. I talk to the Lord about everything. Is there anybody else who does that? You know, sometimes I'm wondering, actually, sometimes I forget and I say it out loud. You know, thank the Lord for car phones because there was many times at traffic lights where I had the bizarrest experiences as people thinking as they stopped next to me I had something severely wrong with me. When I'm in full flight with God in intimacy, now I just have the excuse of the car phone. Everybody thinks you're on the car phone. Even if you don't have a car, they think you're on the car phone. I want to walk with Jesus and I want to come to Jesus more than I want to minister. More than I want to affect the world. More than I want to make an impact. More than I want to be impressive in any form of ministry. I know that God's heart is for us to be with him. And many of the burdens that we're carrying and many of the weights and responsibilities that seem so often to cause our lives to just dry up are because we are not showing up in the secret place with God. If my soul is not marinated by his presence, then it will be affected by my problems. If I'm not living in his abundance, then I'll find myself shoved around by all kinds of circumstance. If I'm not connected to the one who is life, I'll make the huge mistake of trying to lead my life without any sense of direction or indeed peace. 
Jesus invites us to live differently. He models it for us gloriously. And we must learn to think a little bit more intelligently about how we live in relationship with God. When you see God moving through Jesus' life, it's because Jesus has moved towards God so many more times than is visible to the human eye. When you see God turning up and affirming it, it's because Jesus turned up privately with him and God did all kinds of wonderful things in him. Who wants an easy yoke? If that's you today, then allow God the great joy of inviting you afresh into a deeper place of intimacy with him. You don't have to carry these burdens. You don't have to work it out on your own. You need to get off the hobby horse we're all on of trying to be impressive and do the one thing that truly shows up in the marketplace of life, and that's come to him. Come to him when you think. Come to him when you talk. Come to him when you act. Because as you are drawn towards him, here's what happens, church. You end up becoming like him. And that's the heart of God. That you wouldn't carry everything yourself. That as you find yourself energized by his presence, you will feel the breath of God to engage with you to live very differently.